Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Well, welcome to another edition of Fridays with a Scientist. Today we have Amanda Folk from University of Nebraska Extension. Amanda, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Uh, so, I might just give us a little bit of background on you know kind of where you're from and how you got interested in being turf grass specialist. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Ohio, um, and about around the time in 2001, uh, we started to live on the strawberry farm. Well, we started out with the strawberry farm back in 2004, so I grew up with 10 years of 4-H um, showing pigs and dairy cattle, specifically jerseys, and then uh, when I graduated from high school, in addition to also doing sports, I thought, oh, I want to do nursing. I realized that's not what I want to do. So at the time, my mom was working extension at The Ohio State University um, in Columbus, um, on main campus. And she worked on the same floor as the turf grass program there at Ohio State. And when I decided to leave nursing, I'm thinking what I wanted to do. I, didn't want, I wanted to do something more in agronomics, but something a little different than corn and soybeans. <laughs> So then that's when I decided to go into turf grass and I worked with Pam Sherritt. And uh, when I was there at Ohio State, I got to intern nurseries at Arsenal and work with the turf grass program, work with the Columbus crew. And then when I graduated from Ohio State, I worked at Texas A&M Athletics in charge of Ellis Field, the soccer field um, at Texas A&M College Station, Texas. And I did that from May 2017 and June 2019. And then, uh, I went to Purdue from late June 2019 to summer 2022 and worked at um, majority of the time at football and also worked at soccer and track. And during that time, I decided to get my master's degree uh, with research on Kentucky bluegrass germination um, for my thesis research at Purdue. And then um, since January 2023, I've been here at UNL. Excellent. We're glad to have you. So just take a step back a second. I heard you say Arsenal. Mm-hmm. So you are referring to the English Premier League soccer team yes. or football team, I guess, as they would say over there. Yes, yes, I yes the uh, English Premier League Arsenal Football Club. So this um, is at their research um, at their training center overseas in England uh, for London, um, London Colony. It's a town outside north of London, and they had eleven training fields and one kind of half field for the. Um, goalies and at the time when I was interning over there it was a really cool experience and this was back in 2016 they were also were doing the full renovation at Emirates Stadium this was the first time that they did a full renovation of the stadium this opened in 2006 so we got a lot of materials from that stadium and also being in the process of doing a full renovation at their train center so they had real grass fields they're all green ride grass and they also have few fields that are hybrid systems. So hybrid systems are real grass, and then it's sewn in um, into the, the sand profile with artificial fibers, like you would see on artificial fields, but just the fibers themselves, not the crumb rubber or that layer, and just the fibers themselves, because over there, um, they would play during the winter. So they need to have some stand in the grass area in that plain surface. And that's what they would use. So it was a really cool experience just to get to be in the culture overseas, very different here in the States. And also the management and the weather's a little different too. It's more like uh, Northwest of the U.S. type of weather, very cold and they don't have air conditioning. <laughs> so um, it was a really good experience. That, yeah. Sure. How long were you over there? 
I was over there for three months. So from May to August, 2016. Yeah. So I was over there also when they had the, um, the Europe, um, their version of um, the European cup, the Euro cup, I think that's what it was called. And also Brexit happened that same time. Mm -hmm. So yep. yeah, a lot of things were going on in 2016. That was, uh, you know, American and England. So, yeah. Yeah, this is true. So it sounds like that was, so how did you uh, kind of land into that or fall into that? Not that you fell into it, but how did how did you end up getting that? So what happened was, was that um, Pam Sherritt, um, who I worked with at Ohio State, she's the sports turf specialist. And she is originally from England. So she was, she grew up in England and she knew Steve Braddock, who was the head of, he was the head of the, of, um, um, Highbury Stadium, which was the home of Arsenal before they tore down and had Emirates Stadium. And at the time, he was in charge of the practice fields. And um, I worked with Pam in 2015. I worked with her for a few weeks and she's like, wow, you're really good work ethic, you know, growing up on a farm and he's working every day. And she's like, how about you feel about going to Arsenal? I never went overseas at that time. And I, and I was like, sure, I guess. So I had to email him, send him my resume, which they call them circumvite to CVs. And uh, it was it was pretty brown, groundbreaking because I was the first ever woman ever in America or over in the UK to intern at a Premier League team. And it was a very big deal because not many women at that time I was the first one. And uh, it was a very common theme also when I was at Texas A&M being the only one in the SEC doing the work I did as an athletics field manager and also in the Big Ten when I was at Purdue. So, uh, huh. pretty, pretty groundbreaking. <laughs> well, even in 2016, or in the last, like, 10 years, that's been the case. That's, mm -hmm. I guess I shouldn't be too terribly shocked by that, even if that's, well, congratulations, well, regardless. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just, I'm just, out of curiosity, is natural grass the most common playing surface for European football? Yes, um, it's more common, uh, of course, with the new transition with the NFL now going global, they're also putting in artificial fields, but they're also playing around with the hybrid systems, too. I know here in Germany next month, they want to do a hybrid system when they play over in Germany with one of the NFL teams. So with all the stuff going on in the NFL right now and also with 2026 coming up in the World Cup, they want to have some real grass fields, but it's more common in soccer. Over there, there's not one team in the Premier League that's a the official game surface that's an artificial field. So in that perspective, it's kind of like in the Big Ten, there's only four real grass fields. You have really? Only four? Which only ones? Four. Are... So Michigan State has one, uh, Northwestern, Purdue, where I was there, and um, at Penn State. In comparison to like down the south, where I was before I went to Purdue and the SEC, um, all the majority of the teams have uh, real grass, except for a few, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, and the rest of them are real grass. The recent one that changed from artificial real grass was Arkansas a few years ago. So, yeah. Interesting. So, what playing surface are most of the Big Ten teams playing on, then? Mostly artificial, and then for the ones in um, – the ones that have real grass, um, they're all Kentucky bluegrass except for Northwestern Purdue. Purdue's is much longer history. Um, they're one of the first teams ever in the northern part of the U.S. that went Bermuda grass. And, really? Yeah. So this interesting. Is, this was back in a time. Um, so the person I worked with, Brian Brian Warnino, he worked with this a little bit of his masters. 
uh, research on seeing does Bermuda grass work. And at that time they released a, uh, a seeded Bermuda grass called Riviera, I think it was. And they put it out and then they started to see if this will work in the climate. And Purdue, where West Lafayette, Indiana is, is pretty close to the Great Lakes region. They're only two and a half hours away from Chicago. So you kind of have this little warming factor to a certain extent, and you can deal with growth with Bermuda grass. The key for having Bermuda grass, though, is that it'll do well in the warmer temperatures. But we get to this time of year when they play college football, you do a lot of overseeing with Priori grass. When the weather gets cooler, when it gets past that 50 degrees or so, it's going to get into dormancy, but you still got to play on it. But Bermuda grass is a rhizomes, which are spread type, and stolons are underneath spreading by grass. Um, it still holds on, and the prairie grass is just there for the cover. So Bermuda grass is still there in dormancy, but then the prairie grass will grow over. So Purdue has that. And then recently, um, I think this was last year, Woodruff um, Weston also did uh, Bermuda grass for their field up there. And also the Chicago Bears did it too, as well with rain and sod. So it's, um, there's a lot more cultivars now that are more cooler tolerance, but also there's a lot of work to deal with with warm season grasses. So it's very intriguing that, you know, the, the ones next to each other have real grass, uh, growth Bermuda grass there, especially in the Big Ten West, when you look at that. Yeah, it's interesting. I always associate Bermuda grass with, or like the Southern tier of the United States. Um, in this area, is it just too cold and dry for it to really thrive or even, well, I probably would survive in this area, but probably I wouldn't think this is ideal for it. Uh, so that's been one of the big questions. Um, I remember when I started here and the answer to that for now is no, you can't grow Bermuda grass here. It's more of a weed and it's much tougher to deal with. I mean, we have a part of campus, there's a Bermuda grass growing and battling with the buffalo grass over near the stop sign where I am at Plant Science Hall, Kime Hall. But sure. um, the problem with Bermuda grass is that it has to have warm temperatures and then dormancy, it just checks out. And it doesn't do well with the environments because we have such a big, big range of temperatures that goes back and forth because we are in a desert. We are in the, in the in the Great Plains and all that. And it's much harder to deal with it with Bermuda grass. And it's not very effective for growth for it to be in a full plain surface here in Lincoln. Now down in Manhattan and lower and also where Kansas City Chiefs are, they have what they call a transition zone. The transition zone is where you can have both warm and cool season grasses to grow because they're more lower. And here in Lincoln, we don't have that benefit. So that's why we can't really grow Bermuda grass here in terms of a affleck field plant surface. And some people want to grow zoysia. We don't, zoysia is not a good plant to grow. It's very aggressive. So you can do it, but it's, you'll still deal with that dormancy. And buffalo grass, originally here in Nebraska, here in the Great Plains, that's more effective grass, but it's not good as an affleck field grass. Now, once upon a time in the 1930s, they did have it at Memorial Stadium for only lasting not too long <laughs> because it's not a very, um, doesn't do well with recovery. So that's why Kentucky bluegrass is better. It's cool season grass. It can deal with these cooler temperatures and it can help with that recovery. It takes a little longer, but um, that helps out a lot. But here in, here in Lincoln, we just can't, it's, it's not possible to grow with uh, Bermuda grass. Sure. I mean, maybe someday, you know, it keeps getting warmer. Mm -hmm. Right now we typically will get to at least 10 to 15 below at some point in the winter. It's a bit colder here than it is in Indiana, Ohio, from the eastern portion of the Big Ten. So it's, I guess that sort of makes sense. Um, 
So you said you said a lot of the Big Ten teams, and I'm guessing a lot of NFL teams are probably still playing on some sort of artificial surface. Now, when I was a kid, they still have you know what they call astroturf, and I don't know if there's any stadiums, baseball or football, that still have that. But with artificials, like is it like truly a synthetic surface, or is it kind of a mix of real and artificial, or like kind of define what you mean by artificial? So artificial means they're not real grass. So artificial turf is that. Now, we are in a third generation synthetic turf. That's what we call it more specifically in the terms in our in the turf grass community. So um, what makes this interesting is that here in Nebraska, we were one of the first here in the U.S. to have field turf. Field turf is an artificial that had a chrome rubber as the infill into the fibers and we were the first ones in college to have that. And now it's become the norm to have a versions of it. AstroTurf as a company is still there, but they're more advanced in technology with using fibers and infill and helping with traffic and other things like that too. The biggest problem with um, artificial is that the um, people have to do maintenance. You still got agreement, you still got to check the seams. It's not a fix-all and then, oh, I'm not going to do anything for it. And it's more used in NFL and other teams and also here in Nebraska because you don't have – you can do multiple events on them. It's a nice return, but there's also a lot of upfront costs you have to have for that as well. And it's nice and helpful when we get to the cooler temperatures that you can play on the surface. You don't have to have worry about worrying about the painter or mowing or cover or anything like that. You can just, you know, plow the snow off of it and you're ready to go. Um, but there is a lot of safety concerns like we've had here this, this past year with um, the NFL, with Aaron Rodgers and others like that in terms of um, injuries. And both real and artificial grass are going to have injuries. There's been studies shown they're both very similar of having those injuries. And it's the biggest negative, though, in my personal opinion, when it comes to artificial is the heat. When we get into those warmer temperatures we get here in Lincoln, it gets hot. Oh, sure. It's probably a hot surface, even if it's 75, 80 degrees, mm -hmm. which those early games here, it tends to be at least 80. And there's been some years it's been well in the 90s, that first game. So that surface is probably over 40 Celsius, which is you know probably starting to borderline on you know players having heat stroke issues if they're not properly hydrated. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what happens with it is because it's not a real plan. It doesn't do, you know, the things that you think that a plant does. It's not transpiring. It's not, yeah, it's not transpiring. It's not exchanging. And it's all that black chrome rubber and that artificial that's, you know, it's just the artificial that's the fibers themselves. It's not absorbing, so it doesn't know where to escape. And that's one of the, to me, one of the biggest negatives with the artificial is it's just not environmentally friendly. And there isn't that many places here, even the world, to recycle, air quotes, recycle, artificial, and it just, you know. It doesn't decompose, it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't decompose, and it just, there's nowhere for it to go. So it's just better to have real grass, in my official opinion. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, your opinion is shared by Colin Coward. I don't know if you know, yeah. ever listen to him. Yeah. He, I know he was doing commercials for something about real grass. I think he had a segment here a couple of weeks ago where he's talking about how he wished all NFL stadiums had real grass. Uh, my understanding is coach Matt rule also is in favor of natural grass. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uh, he, he also, he played at Penn state. 
um, in college, I believe. So was Penn State a natural grass surface back then? They always have. They always have. I think it's been um, Penn State and Purdue have been the only two teams in the Big Ten that have been real grass from the get-go. And, of course, when I went to Ohio State, they weren't artificial when I was there, but they were from the 90s to 2007. They switched artificial because um, they were hosting the state championship tournament. Because uh, so in Ohio is where the Pro Professional Football Hall of Fame is in Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. They usually would play the games for the high school championships up there, but they were having construction done at the time, and they're like, "Hey, where do we need to go?" So they went to Columbus instead. So, yes, they went down to the Ohio Stadium and go to Columbus and play. And then since then, it's been artificial ever since. And there's been a lot of talk in Columbus about, oh, do we need to go to, you know, we can't really go to real grass, which is kind of true because they had more seating. They lowered um, the level of the stadium of the field. And next to the stadium is the Ontario River. And if it floods, it, it's in that flooding plain now. So you can't grow grass and it's being done over down the road at lower.com field, the home of the Columbus crew now, but her second home. Uh, but you have to invest in grow lights and just keep an eye on the weather and all that. It can be done. It's just more of a financial investment that whatever place it's going to be, doesn't matter if it's the NFL or um, the athletic departments of universities to do that real grass and safety. There is grass practice fields at Ohio State, and also they are in other places, including here. And there's always that safety to have that concern. So it depends on how much you want to spend and if you want to have a benefit for that. And I know they do other things. They do country concerts and all that. Like here in Nebraska, we had a volleyball day in Nebraska over there too. Mm-hmm. But it's more of what you want to do in that surface. And then also figuring out from the coaching staff too, if they have any say and saying, do you want to go, you know, on your record, they want to go real grass. Sometimes they don't have a choice and some do. It depends on who you work at. Yeah. So is there a chance we could actually transition to natural grass here in Nebraska? There might be a chance. So I'm guessing that would that would probably require some investment. That probably would require a good bit of change and some prep, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some prep and um, they haven't been our, a real grass at the stadium since 1969. Okay. So more than a half of the life of uh, Memorial Stadium, we're celebrating its hundredth anniversary this year. So more than half of its life, it's been artificial than real grass. Interesting. So there's going to be a lot of a lot of digging up flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. But it does go to real grass, so it it'll, it'll take if if they do decide to do that, and probably some heat lamp, some some growing lamps, which they have grow lights, which also start over at Arsenal too, with back in uh, 2008 when they had the Emirates Stadium and all that. And I think the one example to show the future of real grass fields is probably at Green Bay Packers and having that there at Lambeau Field. They have the artificial fibers. They got heating under. Well, that's true, yes. And the grow lights, and they have all the nine yards. They're like the highest effective field in all of all of here, probably North America for that. Yeah, so that's a, that's a nice field. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I have memories from Lambeau. Well, I actually had never been to Lambeau Field personally, uh, but being a Bears fan and watching the Bears go to Green Bay and, you know, usually losing. So I don't have the fondness of memories of watching games that are played in that stadium. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like they do a very, very nice job there. If, uh, the field always looks great, even if it is five below zero. They just had, like, a foot of snow or something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they also got the heating underneath, and also they, I think they only do maybe one event a year. Is the, is the heating with, uh, so is a like heated water under it, or how are they actually keeping it heated? I think it is that. I don't know what type of heating system they have. I know there's different places they have that. Michigan State, that's Farm Stadium, they have their own heating system, I think. And when Purdue, uh, with the original PATH system, they did have heat coils in the system. So the drainage system at Purdue is is kind of like a um, a bath is like a bathroom tub. There's pumps underneath the stadium that you turn on uh, to hold the water collected, and you turn them off, and the water will come out from the pumps. So they keep the water in and the soil profile. And it's the first system that Dr. William H. Daniel did. Um, and now there's been other alterations of it. The current one, the air pads, what the most group in Cincinnati has, but it's the only existing one that's more than 50 years old. And so, but they, they had heat coils in it, but now they don't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand you also are a golfer. Mm -hmm. So you probably have got an opportunity to probably play golf in Lincoln and similar places in the state. Uh, what what, do you, what would you say is the most unique or what was your favorite golf course experience? It doesn't have to be your Nebraska, just anywhere. Mm -hmm. I haven't really gone to many golf courses in terms of golfing. I went to, um, I did have a tournament for Nebraska Golf Course Superintendent Association. Um, so I went golfing there during that tournament and um, it was really cool over there. Where was that at? Um, I forget, it's somewhere in Eastern Lincoln. I don't know the name. Oh, it was around here. Yeah, it was around here. It's one of the private courses. Um, I know uh, I went over to Valentine and visited Prairie Club. Um, and that's a really good golf course out there, outward the Sand Hills. It was my first time going over to the Sand Hills. And that's it's neat. It's, it's very pretty. I never, it's, it's a very unique area of Nebraska. And just to explore more of the state and seeing that and, um, but yeah, I haven't really done much golfing, but going to different golf courses, because in my job as an extension educator, I cover sports fields, golf courses, sod farms, um, lawn care um, operators, and those that own lawn care. So I'm more on the commercial side of turf grass, and they're my turf grass stakeholders is what I call them. So just going out there and seeing, you know, what can I do to help and our program and, and the outreach I can do as well, and just getting to see what they do. Um, behind the scenes a little bit so yeah it's been really cool so far to see all that yeah and you said you've been here since january mm -hmm. i moved um in mid-december the week of christmas so the day after i graduated from purdue i was i moved westward oh, okay so you got here about the time that we probably had a supply of about two bulls here or whatever oh, that was yes. yes my mom and me we were we were we were trying to move all my stuff into my new apartment for like the, why did i move here i don't know with the freezing temperature so i mean as far as wisconsin and my mom and dad was told me oh you were born below zero temperatures and i was like oh i guess it's part of my blood so you you said you're born in wisconsin yes yes Plaza, wisconsin oh interesting okay mm -hmm. i don't think i so how, how your are your folks from ohio then so my dad's from ohio my mom's from michigan so they both met in livestock judging. My dad for Ohio State, my mom for Michigan State back in the mid-80s. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So and then my mom moved with my dad. And, uh, yeah, they were in Wisconsin. My mom worked for Wisconsin for producers and my dad for Kent Feeds. And then he moved back and he was working for Kent Feeds. And my mom was working in the early days of uh, certified Angus beef at their headquarters there near Osiris, Worcester, Ohio, kind of that little north northeast corner there of the state so yeah interesting so 
in addition to sort of helping manage turf grass around the state, uh, you also are teaching a capstone course uh, here, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, Want to just, I, I'm just kind of curious what uh, what you guys do in that capstone course. Yeah, so when I started this job, I had a very unique appointment, being 90% extension, 10% teaching. So my capstone course, I took a lot um, from my time when I was at Purdue. Now, when I was at Ohio State for my undergrad, um, we did not have a capstone course specifically for turf grass. And then when I started my master's degree at Purdue with my advisor, Dr. Aaron Patton, I got to take the capstone course at Purdue, and I really liked the layout that he did. And then when I started here, I didn't realize, but his predecessor, um, Dr. Zach Reinerker, was here at Nebraska, and he took that similar format to Purdue, and he did it here, and I brought back. So the way that the capstone course works is the students, um, they should have a lot of understanding of turf grass management. And we just take this journey from talking about the lawn care management of turf grass, the sports field management of turf grass, and then the golf course management. All these students that go through the course, no matter if you're a minor in turf grass or you're doing it as a major, um, I believe the students all need to have um, exposure to all the areas of turf grass management. And uh, it's been a really good course. And uh, here at the end of this course, um, they, so each time they'll do a management plan, but for that they do a uh, price list to do the calculations of the products. And then based on that price list, they do their management plans based on a certain area for lawn care. You know, they choose two out of three of the sports fields. When we do a sports field, we'll go to all of those as a little field trip. And then they can ask questions to the athletic field managers and the golf course. We go to the golf course and then a golf course management plan is an individual plan. And uh, this time we did it in the Country Club of Lincoln. So we went over to the Country Club of Lincoln and talked to the superintendent there. And then they would, they're doing a group project of a concern that they're having at the golf course. I like to switch this up every year um, to get experience. And it was made it interesting this year was that two of the three students that worked at the Country Club of Lincoln, which helped out a little bit, at least for them, the ones that already worked it, because they, <laughs> they know what was going on with the problems. Um, but then they're 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 going to be um, you know in a position as a uh, Ryan Cranes, who's a superintendent there, and make the decisions. And a little bit more in the golf course one for the individual project is they also have to do the planning of how many hours that the full time staff is going to have and what is the operating budget. You know, just a general emphasis. But we're more focused on the management side and the project. They'll present it at the Country Club of Lincoln uh, for their group project, and then that's their last day of class and then they can finish up the rest of their courses and uh, it's more than a half a semester class the way I have it set up because I'm doing other extension talks and other stuff like that across the state and also probably over in other states too in the future so yeah. Excellent so it's not like it's a very very hands-on experience yes. um, we'll probably get to probably help some particularly ones that probably want to go into lawn care management or sports Field management probably is very, very helpful for them. Um, so to going back to the golf courses a little bit, what are what are some of the toughest aspects of managing natural turf grass at golf courses? Um, in this area and maybe, say, further east where you have a little bit more moisture, it's a little warmer. I think the big one with golf courses, of course, I have, I have more experience in sports turf. I know with golf course management, it's dealing with um, a lot more disease pressure. 
uh, the high to cut for creeping bent grass, which is a much um, one of the more lower high to cut grasses you can have in golf course management. Uh, you have more increased chance of diseases and other issues because there's a smaller root zone for those grasses that are more lower high to cut. And there's a lot. Like the fairway? Not a fairway. It's more greens and tees. Fairway's a little longer. Oh, so like the really short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the greens usually are kept quite very, short. Very tight. Yeah, very, very low high. They can be like 0 0.120 and they can be very, very tight, very, very small, high to cut. So then you have that ball roll because you have to, you, you know, that's, that's your goal is to get to, you know, to get your score now you get to the hole. So um, but yeah, there's a lot of management to that. And then you also got the fairways and roughs. Roughs are a little bit more of a, a little bit taller, high to cut, somewhat to a sports field. And fairways are kind of in between with the height. But there's like four different environments you want to think about that. You have four different heights of cuts. And also you might have different grasses too. You might have a creeping bent grass, um, tea and green. And you might have your fairway being a Kentucky blue or a prairie ryegrass. And your roughs can be a tall fescue or something like that. So you have to keep in mind like your different what you do got deal management practice wise. Like there can be certain diseases that affect those one type of grass but not the other type. So there's a lot of So you would want some diversity in species. Yeah. Well you can have diversity in species, but also you have to keep in mind too of um in the golf course you also deal with something that we don't deal much with in sports turf, which is trees. You also deal with um, you know, some there's no trees in football fields <laughs> no you don't run into any i don't think <laughs> well actually speaking of trees though um down the stairs in the lobby there's they put out a whiteboard for basically telling students to vote uh for homecoming queen i think there was somebody and some student and snr that's up for homecoming queen they also asked who's going to win the nebraska purdue game mm -hmm. and then some other student also put forest in there and I took a picture and sent a couple of friends yesterday. I think, yeah, I think the forest is clearly going to win tomorrow, just given the <laughs> weather and uh, the uh, general lack of uh, offense on, well, certainly on the Nebraska side, I don't think Purdue is particularly good either. But uh, um, yeah, sorry for the tangent. I just thought that was, uh, was an interesting point, though, that yeah, with, with golf courses, uh, well, particularly in the U.S., traditionally you have trees and uh, British courses, though, typically just kind of was it mostly just grass and sand. Yeah, so the ones on the prairies are unique because you deal with a lot of the prairie grasses and there's a lot, what's nice in the prairies, like over in the sand hills is you already got sand and you don't have True. to bring any in. It's right there. Mother nature has that. Uh, but it's a lot of it is the extreme temperatures of cold. Like they have a very shorter season than golf courses over in the sand hills region than they do here in eastern. Oh, Alaska. absolutely. Yeah. And like I remember going over to the Prairie Club and they were saying, oh, yeah, our season's like from May to like maybe late October. And that is a very short season. Some I have a little longer. It depends on the course, too. If you're public, private, you can say what you want when you want to have it open. But um, but the seasons, that's why they have that, is that it does get pretty cold up there and it's it gets very extreme and, yeah. and it takes a lot of management of dealing with that. So, I mean, I think if anybody, when you're in turf grass, you got to be three things. You got to learn about the grass. You got to learn about the weeds you're dealing with the grass and other aspects to diseases. But you also got to know the weather. If you don't know your weather, you don't know your environment, you're going to have problems. 
And that's where a lot of people struggle when it comes to the management side. Like I remember when I started up at Texas A&M dealing with Bermuda grass, I didn't realize how hot it was going to get, but also I never dealt with Bermuda grass before. And I went to Purdue and it's like, oh yeah, it's a little different. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm used to the Midwest and all this. And then when I come here, it's like a, like a mix of in between. You're dealing with somewhat like Texas being the warmer temperatures, but yet it's still Midwest because you still got, you're supposed to get rain, but it's been very dry here the last couple of years. Yeah, it's very dry. So it's normally it's a lot wetter than it's been here. Mm -hmm. um, if you come here six years earlier, you would have a different impression of the weather here. Because <laughs> yeah. it was was a lot wetter from 2016 through early 2020. It's just been really dry here since uh, 2020. Uh, but I love you said about the weather, just given that uh, that's sort of my background, and mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people don't appreciate just the differences. Uh, it's what weather that you get across the state. You know, Valentine, we're talking about the courses up there. Valentine, it's not that uncommon for them to get to the single digits for lows, even in late October. I mean, they can even get below zero in October. Um, you can still have sub-freezing temperatures there as late as early to mid-May. That's not that uncommon. And then you also have to deal with in that area. It, sometimes it can be very, very cold there for weeks and weeks. But you have other winters where you get some big thaws and it goes from 10, 15 below zero. Then two days later, it's 65. And then two days later, wind chills 40 below. I mean, that's, you know, you get into that part of the Great Plains. It starts getting a lot more extreme in terms of the temperature swings. That probably also has a an impact on, you know, what you can actually maintain in a golf course or mm -hmm. even probably your lawns for that matter. Yeah. And it's always been back to like um, one of the things I try to stress with people, maybe especially in the extension side is you have to pick the right grass or the right, the right place in the right time. And like here in this part of the state, you do more tall fescues a little bit, maybe some Kentucky bluegrass and you do it more Kentucky bluegrass when you get out to the Western part of the state reason why is that with the cold seasons you can't really grow many warm seasons you can't buffalo grass if you're not going to have much traffic on it like it's a good drought tolerant grass i mean mm -hmm. droughts always in the biggest concerns but it doesn't do well in terms of you going on it and if you're doing any sports it's terrible recovery so but there's been a lot of technology that has changed over time with when it comes to uh picking grasses with drought and like tall fescue is a nice drought type grass to have but it doesn't do well with the spread so kentucky bluegrass and all the cool season grasses have um they only can have a limit up to 77 degrees and there's this uh summer dormancy that happens with these cool season grasses before they go into drought there's kind of this nice little in between and they can't bounce back if you put water in it there's a lot of factors with drought you need to have can't have any moisture and then you have warmer temperatures you don't need to have either of those or other factors then you're going to deal with a drought so that's some of the things that people have a misconception which i'll talk about that in uh january with the uh, nebraska turf grass conference about all that stuff with drought and turf grass excellent so that's 77 degrees is that the is that like an average temperature for a day that's like beyond that it's very detrimental for yeah, say like fescue and, and Kentucky bluegrass? It can be more than that, but in general, in generalness for germination to occur with cool season grasses, that's the max. Now in warm season grasses, it's more like 59 to maybe 90 some degrees because they can deal with the warm temperatures. So with cool season grasses, um, they're called C3. Mm -hmm. So they can deal with the cooler temperatures. And then the warm season grasses, they're C4. They can deal with the warmer temperatures. And they have the reserves to survive 
the warm temperatures that happen in drought-like conditions. But the C3 stayers, some grasses like tall fescue because they have a deeper root growth that happens because they're trying to get more lower into the areas of water and it helps with the drought. But then you have some like Kentucky bluegrass, they don't do well with drought, but they can hold on to water. But they can also spread with rise of mat growth and they try to reserve it. And perennial ryegrass is just not graded. <laughs> Sure. They're, they're just they're very for a great germination and the color and then uh it's like okay i did my job so i'll just sit here <laughs> yeah i think most of our yard which i've been gradually getting rid of more grass and putting in other other landscaping that's a little bit more pollinator friendly mm -hmm. uh, looks a little nicer uh just some grasses didn't establish as well when we first put the sod in so mm -hmm. some of it looks really really good some of it stuff that was poor performing we got rid of but it's it's a it's a I believe, I forget exactly what the fescue bluegrass mix is, but it's, it's more fescue than bluegrass uh, by quite a wide margin. It strikes me, though, that it definitely will go a little more dormant if it gets quite warm and dry. So it looked really pretty tough in the 2022, looked pretty tough early 2023. We started getting a lot of rain in late June and July. And actually, this is the first year I could ever remember I mowed more in July than May. Actually, I hardly mowed in May this year because it just wasn't growing that much. But the addition of rain, it, it did really, really well. But it does seem to me, though, that if we keep our average temperatures below like that 25 Celsius, so 77 Fahrenheit range, that it, as long as it's getting some moisture, it will grow pretty quickly. But once you, those, those really hot spells, especially if the dew points are a little bit lower, it, unless it just really is getting a lot of water, it goes, it, it gets kind of, it's well, I don't know, it doesn't go truly dormant on yeah, us, but it, it definitely it, it changes very quickly. It goes it, it goes into a dormancy. And yeah. but it can it can be in that line that it can stay alive and it's in that dormancy. It's it's not gone to dying, but you don't have to put out that much water. People get a little bit misconcepted if I and there there is a fact with in general with cool season grasses, they get more water in warm seasons. But you just want to have enough water for the grass to survive and get it yep. by any chance. That's kind of what I, that's kind of how I operate. So mm -hmm. we do have underground sprinkler system we put in, we built the house. Mm -hmm. And, but I, I try and not water. I, I think some people water excessively and I think that's detrimental to your grass. Um, yeah, it, it's not good for the environment either. I know there's some restrictions here in Lincoln, Omaha for water restrictions and there's now new cultivars are coming out to the market and certain organizations like um, like the Turfgrass Water Conservation Alliance, they got a list of um, seeded cultivars that some of them were in our National Turfgrass Evaluation Program, which is like a testing site we have here in Lincoln that we test the different cultivars that will be in the market eventually. And they go a little bit far beyond in other parts of the United States to see in these drought-like conditions, can they survive? And there's many Kentucky bluegrass, tall fescue, and even prairie ryegrass cultivars and others um, that you can find in the market with certain seed companies that can get drought-tolerant grasses. And that's my suggestion. If you're in an area that had drought tolerance and that, you might need to find something and it might be a little bit more to pay for for those seeds, but you won't have to deal with that, um, you know, the brownness that comes into the dormancy and then Sure. not drought for that grasses. And I'm okay with it being a little bit brown. Mm -hmm. Typically, I water at best twice a week, and it's not for very long. I, I mostly try to keep the younger trees, you know, watered more since they need more water in the earlier in their lives, and uh, just making sure the grass kind of stays alive. If it looks a little brown, that's okay. If it rains, it, it comes back really pretty quickly. Especially 
once you get past like mid-September, you get an inch and a half of rain, it greens up really quickly and it grows really quickly. And uh, I, I, the other thing I've always done is I've always mowed on the highest notch. So like, I, I really try to keep a length. Um, I feel like some people, like they mow it shorter. And I don't know if that's, for some people, it's because they, like, they can only mow so many times that they're so busy. Uh, but there's other people you see them out there like, like they're constantly mowing and constantly watering. I'm just kind of like, why don't you just water less and mow it higher? It's like you're actually treating the grass. In my opinion, you're treating the grass better if you do that. Well, not treating the grass better, but um, a lot of factors go into that with a higher height of cut. Usually with a higher height of cut, you're not supposed to mow no more than a third of the canopy of turf grass. If you mow more, mow no, more than that, you're going to have problems with your grass. And the other thing, too, is um, the fertilizer program. This is a big problem of people who are putting out their fertilizers and they don't know what's in their soil already. And they're putting out too much nitrogen, which that's causing a lot of that growth of that grass. And figuring out that you don't need to put out as much nitrogen as you have to. Usually in sports fields, we have to do that because of the traffic and the consistency we have to have on those surfaces. But not that many are done in golf courses in that too. Usually helps a little bit with some germination with some potassium or phosphorus to help with um, the germination side of things. But there's been a lot of those areas um, in golf courses they kind of step back in nitrogen use and that. And for homeowners and people that work with grasses, um, they have to probably have to reconsider not putting out too much nitrogen because there is such a thing as nitrogen leaching and other things like that. Um, and many bit you get returned anyways with your grass clippings. Sure. Yeah. I I just mulch the grass, mulch the leaves, and I put down one modest fertilizer application in the spring, usually right before we're going to get a good rain so I get to soak in. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to run off. Uh, but I find that that's good enough. I mean, you get a little bit of natural nitrogen from the lightning and from the clipping, clippings and other things. Uh, like in terms of like golf courses, like how many times a year do you think that they traditionally are putting out any sort of fertilizer? Uh, it depends. So there's two different ways you can get fertilizer. You can do it by granular or foliar fertilizer. Um, there's some foliar fertilizations that don't give out as much fertilizer um, as it does by granular, uh, but it depends on the areas and what's the goal you want to have. And some places you don't want to put out too much um, because you don't want to get a lot of that excess. Um, it really depends on the golf course and where you're at is more of the concern. There's really no infinite one. Some places put out twice a month and some of them don't put out maybe once a month. It depends on the golf course and the superintendent that's working on it. Sure. And some of that might depend on how much traffic it gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned weather, um, and I will, we'll talk a little bit more about the weather and just hear a little bit towards the challenges this year, but you also mentioned weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so weeds are nemesis to anybody that, you know, tries to keep, um, you know, a lawn looking decent. Uh, now I will tell you there's part of our yard that's about half clover, half grass. Some of the, we don't have that many weeds, but there's definitely weed pressures. I'm not one out there spraying crap tons of Roundup because I don't really, I don't really believe in spraying a lot of chemicals on the yard. I just don't think it's worth it. Um, but it, it turns like what, what types of weeds are the biggest nemesis and like what's the best way of controlling them in your opinion? Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of the weeds that come into turf grasses are mostly in areas where there's stress and also a lot of compaction. So like clover and, and crabgrass are usually common ones or goosegrass. They're usually, you see a lot of those in compacted areas, so more in clay soils. Or you can see some of that compaction and they just, they like areas where you don't like anything. <laughs> it's where weeds are. And when it comes to the management of them, it varies on the type of it. Dandelions are different in management than it is with crabgrass because, you know, like dandelions are more perennials. You can deal with them more in later fall, like usually this time of year, maybe, maybe a few, maybe a week prior be a good time to use um, some post-emergence herbicide for that. You don't usually want to do that in the spring. And it's also based too on the growth cycle of these weeds are also a little uncertainty. Our big one in turf grass is poannua. And they're more of an annual grass and they come up in areas where there's a lot of moisture and there's some traffic and they just spread and they're these lighter colors. Um, and they've caused a lot of problems for superintendents and athletic field managers because it's an annual grass that's, um, they don't survive very well in the heat, but they love this time of year when it gets to cooler temperatures. And they're like, oh, we're gonna just gel here in the putting green area. And you see some little spotches, those are mostly annual bluegrass. And there's always been issues with dealing with the management. The one that's been recent here has been using pro um, PGR, also known as growth regulators, to help with um, limiting the amount of clippings and output to have in the grass, like kind of controlling the growth a little bit based on the weather and growing degree days. Um, but weeds are always a problem in any turf grass areas and areas in, in all around that you deal with something with those plants. And it's a uh, easy said than done to say pulling it because like if you pull a dandelion you're gonna have some other remnants of dandelion or yellow's nuts edge and it'll come back up again it's always an ongoing battle every year too with weeds oh yes yes um yeah the weeds are my nemesis um i just don't spend as much effort eradicating them entirely as some people do but uh, you know sometimes uh, i spend more time than others trying to get rid of them um what was my next question um, so in, in terms of like weather issues this year, so in this part of the state, so kind of Grand Island to Lincoln, we've, um, things are getting a little bit better, but we more or less have been as dry as we've been since the 1950s in this part of the country. Um, so I'm assuming golf courses, you, you probably have gotten lots of, um, I don't know about complaints, but probably a lot of concerns from golf course superintendents or other Long care companies talk about how this has been very, very challenging dealing with turf grasses given the environment. So it wasn't just last. So I think our June 1st to May 31st, so June 1 of 2022 to May 31st of 2023 was our driest 12 month period on record. Um, and just in general, we've had, you know, the worst conditions in seven decades. And it's been pretty dry for about three years. Uh, so I'm assuming like the repeated like consecutive years of drought probably are as much of an issue as just like one really intense season. Yeah, I think there's, um, yeah, I'm still learning more about this date. I've had heard um, some people having concerns about drought. That's why I'm doing talk at the, um, at the Nebraska Turf Press Conference about drought as more of a um, update on education for the superintendents and those long-known long, long care operators because, um, one of the biggest problems with people when it comes to drought-like conditions and turf grass, everyone thinks, oh, we're going to go out and spray this weed, and you can't do that. 
you're going to kill the grass and the grass is weak and there's other things you can't do with call other cultural practices but it has become a problem um in the side of the, the side of the state because with the water restrictions and that and you know people are wondering well do i need to change to a different grass do i need to do a buffalo grass what are my options and uh yeah, but they are very big questions. And um, you know, with superintendents and others, I think it's more of um, them trying to figure out different grasses to use in terms of helping with traffic, but also saving water and saving efficiency. Some places don't have a choice to change to a different grass. And some of them are considering that with some other options to be more environmentally friendly with that. No, that's good, very good to hear. Um, so anything else for the good of cause today? Uh, no, don't think so. Hopefully, uh, we'll see how the Nebraska-Purdue game goes from the place I'm working at now to the place I was at for three and a half years. So, it'll be red or well or up, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Well, it should be, well, I think the score will be close. I don't know what I would say be a good game, just given that it's supposed to be probably in the low to mid 30s with a little bit of wind and maybe it'll be snowing. And I was saying I'll be I'll actually be on the field tomorrow, so it's actually will be my first game at Memorial Stadium. I'm really excited about that. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So and then the next day would be more interesting to be the uh, soccer game, the uh, quarterfinals against uh, the other team. I went to got my bachelor's at Ohio State against Nebraska. So just all of the two teams I was I graduated with degrees from at, all on the same weekend. So yeah. very exciting time. But. But no, it's just, uh, no, it's been pretty good so far. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, really great opportunity to meet with you and others here at UNL for my first year here in this position. And I'm very excited about what's to come for my programming here with Extension. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you for joining us, Amanda. Well, you. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, you too.